0: What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of the Marketing Dude Podcast. Uh, Folks, if you've been following the last few weeks, uh, the name of the game right now is thinking outside the box and doing things a little bit differently and um, opening your eyes to new things. There's lawsuits. There's all kinds of shit going on in the real estate industry. And whenever there's turmoil like this, there's also a lot of opportunity, but you have to be able to see it and take advantage of it because it's during the shifts that the people from nowhere make big names from themselves. And the ones who were big names end up drowning. And um, I like to bring a lot of different perspectives onto the show. So I didn't know this guy was from Chicago. This is two Chicago people in a row. So um, you're welcome. There's a reason why we're fucking awesome. It's because we work hard, Uh, unlike the people in California. No offense taken. Um, so without further ado, we're going to go ahead and introduce uh, our guest today, but we're going to be talking about industrial real estate, industrial investing. Uh, it's much different than what we have typically talked about. I don't think we have ever had this on the show, so I'm excited to see where the conversation um, takes us today. So without further ado, let's go ahead and introduce our guest, Mr. Joel uh Friedman, Friedman. Friedman? How do I want to say it? Friedland. Friedland. Oh, I'm, all right. Sorry. Oh, I did see the L-A-N-D uh, at the end. Yeah. Well, how are you doing? Say hello and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. So uh, I live in Chicago. I grew up in a suburb of Chicago called Highland Park, and um, when I was 22 years old, I graduated from the University of Michigan. By the way, two years there, and before that, two years at San Diego State. So I love San Diego, where you live. Congratulations on your championship! Ah, uh, thank you, thank you. We're Big deal. Happy about it. Yeah, yeah, that. that was awesome. So right after graduating. Uh, I wanted to get into real estate and I thought I'm going to get into residential real estate because that's what I knew. And a friend of mine introduced me to a family that owned a business called Podolsky, their Podolsky family, and they owned 84 industrial buildings and were looking for a leasing agent so and a property manager. So I interviewed with them on a Thursday and I started on Friday And because I was, I think, A pretty good interviewer interviewee they hired me right away and said in 1981 interest rates were 17% they had 84 buildings 10 of them were vacant and they wanted me to figure out. How to do the lease up of their vacant industrial buildings, first of all, you have to understand what an industrial building is an industrial building is is usually hidden away they have industrial parks in every city and every town has them. Uh, In Chicago, there are 16,000 industrial buildings, but most people have never even heard of it. And industrial is where uh, warehousing takes place and distribution. So for today, the famous uh, industrial tenant is Amazon. And, but every store has a warehouse, every chain, every restaurant chain has a warehouse. And then there's manufacturing, where every product, if you look around in the background here at, at this place, mm-hmm. everything in, the back, in, in my background was made in an industrial building, manufactured or assembled. Your headphones, your hat, your microphone, your shirt, the, the computer, everything. And industrial, therefore, is really the, the backbone of the American economy as far as supply chain logistics. And creation of products. I knew nothing about it. So I started out as an industrial real estate agent. I didn't even have a license. Did you even I need wasn't... one then?
0: In 81, yes. did you need a oh, license? Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. And and the Podowski said, You need to go get a license. You're going to act as a broker, and we're not going to tell anybody. I think the statute of limitations is up from 42 years ago.
0: But yeah. so you're, <laughs> you're saying
1: without a license, we're, we're going to find out if you're even worthy of backing you and having you go out and get a license so we're going to see what you can do so mr podowski steve podowski who was my mentor told me to get in my car and drive to industrial parks and look around and figure out what industrial is and it was summertime and the weather was beautiful and i knew they had vacant buildings so i drove to a town where they had a a number of vacancies called schiller park which (laughs) is the O'Hare airport yeah I parked my car on the street in an industrial park, and I just started going door to door to companies, like big companies, like where they have 30 employees or 50 or 100 employees. And I walked door to door uh, into each building, and I'd walk in, and at that time, there were receptionists. There's always a receptionist. They were the people who answered the phone and greeted people. And I'd walk up to the receptionist, and I'd say, who do I talk to about whether you guys might want to move? your company to a building that's available a block away. And I I had a stack of flyers with me that had the pictures of the buildings and all the specifications. And by doing that, I actually found tenants who were looking to move. It was a really rough time, though. In, In 1991, there was a really bad recession. It was similar to how it felt in 2008. Yeah, real bad. And people who aren't as old as I am don't remember that because they weren't there. And then there was another recession, by the way, in the early 1990s, 1990 and 1991. So I've been through these cycles. And I learned that when that first job, that when things are bad, you have to work harder, you have to talk to more people, and you have to find more opportunities by just having total perseverance. And After being an agent for the Podowskis, I became a tenant rep and a buyer rep as a broker. I got my license, and I represented tenants. I had some really interesting tenants that made products that you know of that are out there. Your microphone,
0: is that a Shure? This is an, I have no idea, actually. (laughs) That's a good question. Uh, I think this is the ATR 2100 is the one I originally had, but I bought a new one. I don't know if it's the same model or not.
1: Well, oh, so sure is a microphone company, and I'd say they they take, they're, they're a major part of the microphone uh, market. And I called on them, because they were in Niles, Illinois, and that's where one of the Podowski buildings uh, that was vacant was located. And I, I actually stopped in, and I talked to them, and I said, hey, how would you like to move to the warehouse that's about four doors away? And they threw me out. Yeah, <laughs> I got thrown out of a lot of places. I had one place I walked in And there was no receptionist. So it was just this guy chomping on a cigar at the desk by the front door. And I said, hi, I'm here to see if you might consider moving. He says,
0: goodbye,
1: get out. Yeah, Yeah, There was a lot of that. So I was just, I was a, a perseverance machine as an agent. And then about nine or 10 years in, I decided it was time maybe to start investing in industrial real estate. So I put together a syndication, my first one, and I raised $560,000 in $20,000 chunks from people that I knew from my family locally, from building relationships with clients who were uh, tenants and owners of companies. And we did the first deal, we did the second deal, and now we've done 100 industrial real estate acquisitions.
0: So syndication... Um what would you say would be the pros and cons to it as opposed to syndicating multifamily? Cuz I know a lot of a lot of people are very familiar with. If you're not familiar with syndicating multifamily guys, watch like 20 shows on this podcast or just just look at Grant Cardone like it's it's all over the place, right? Um so what's the difference between in the yeah, walk us through the pros and cons like why industrial over multifamily? Cuz I would I think the is this or is this like the uh, the sleeper cell here because everyone's saying, "Oh, industrial office like people are Commercial real estate investing sounds scary right now in the general public.
1: So industrial is the hottest asset class in real estate right now. And the reason is because the internet has caused uh, a need for warehouses. Because every time a store, a warehouse opens. Also, there's a lot of political trouble with China. And a lot of products are made in China for American companies. And companies who struggled with supply chain issues during COVID and still are, and some of the problems between the United States government and the Chinese government, because we're mad at them for stealing our stuff, right, and for not playing fair. A lot of companies that used to make products in China are now bringing it back to North America, and that's called reshoring. So the two trends, the internet and reshoring, have made industrial the hottest and um
0: Interesting you say that because I just spent a week in Chicago for Christmas and my folks live on the south side near Joliet and Crest Hill, Romeoville area. And literally since the last time I've been home to the time I was there, I can't tell you the amount of warehouses from Amazon, Target just moved in on Weber Road, um, uh, Wayfair is right there. Like there's just a tremendous amount of warehouses. And they're not very expensive to build. So just like a big vanilla box, essentially. and then Oh, right? it is
1: a big box. They have big boxes. They have little boxes. They have tall boxes. They have short boxes. Some of them have a lot of loading docks for trucks. Some of them just have a few loading docks. Some have a lot of office on one end. Some have almost no office on, on, in the middle or on the end. But here's what, what's great about industrial that people don't know and I'm not trying to say, hey, everyone get involved in my business, but when people hear this, they really like it. The cap rates are higher because everyone's in residential. So the competition in terms of demand for investments in multifamily, you can find thousands of people who do multifamily work. And if you look at every podcast, there's only three or four industrial podcasts.
0: Yeah. I get, I get pitched for like real estate investors for this show. Like I get like three a week. It's nonstop. Yeah. It's just like a guru every like minute, like popping up.
1: Yeah. So the yields on multifamily because everybody's cramming in and there's too many people in it are running somewhere in the neighborhood. It's been as depending on whether it's in, on the coasts or whether it's somewhere in the middle of the country or whether it's Nashville. Sure. or Florida. Yeah. But the, the yields, if you invest in a multifamily deal, are anywhere between 5 and 6.5%. And, and in my industrial deals, I wouldn't take less than 8% if my life depended on it. I'm not interested in that. And there's a reason for that. It's because it's riskier. Usually, we buy single-tenant buildings. If you have a multifamily complex with 300 units and you have 10 vacancies in a month, you still can pay your mortgage. Well, we'll get into mortgages because that may not be true as rates have gone up, but there's less risk because there's diversification inside of that one investment. With industrial, if I have a tenant, and let me give you an example, uh, Comcast was a tenant in one of my warehouses. They they have to keep their equipment somewhere and the cable guys have to pick stuff up and they have to drop stuff off and a place to park their vans. Single tenant. If Comcast leaves, I'm hundred percent vacant. But in the meantime, we own that building for 15 years. And by the 15th year, our return was 32% yield per year. Cause it went up every year. That's the other thing about industrial. We have generally built in escalations every year. And here's the third thing that's, that's maybe the best. We love manufacturing buildings. We love buildings where people have equipment and they put racks up. They can't leave.
0: I was going to say, it's like uh, golden handcuffs. It's too expensive to leave once you do it.
1: Yeah, they can't go. Once once they're in, especially manufacturers, because they bring in, let's say, 30 machines into a 30,000 foot building, and it might cost $50,000 per machine to move. It would cost over a million dollars to move. So they just stay and stay and stay. So you've got higher uh, returns. You've got automatic annual escalations. You've got this uh, long-term type of tenant. And one of the great things also about industrial is they're really easy to manage. So if, you're, if you have 100 units.
0: Yeah, no one's, you calling you to, no one's calling you to unclog a toilet there.
1: No, we have what's called (laughs) net leases. That's right. We have what's called net leases. A net lease is where the tenant pays everything. What I say to a tenant when they walk into one of our buildings, the potential new tenant, and they say, what are we responsible for? My answer is this. It's very clear. It's as if you own the building, except you don't own it. You pay rent instead of owning it. And what I'm saving you is not having to invest the down payment. It's our money that's invested. And you don't have to get a mortgage, and you don't have to worry about paying all the the things that are behind the scenes. That I do. But you pay for the mowing of the lawn. You pay for the trimming of the bushes. You pay for the parking lot to be maintained. If it's Chicago, you pay the snow removal. You pay the taxes. You pay the insurance. You pay the plumbing problems. Everything.
0: Sounds like a pretty damn good deal for a landlord. (laughs) It is.
1: So we love being an industrial landlord because our tenants pay everything. So, you know, it's it's the best kept secret that's not a secret is that industrial is a fantastic asset class. But the reason that it's difficult is because individuals are afraid to invest in either a 100% occupied or 100% vacant building. That's why so many syndicators do multifamily as opposed to industrial.
0: I imagine the acquisition strategy's got to be a little bit different in in uh, in uh, industrial versus multifamily. So if I was if I was syndicating multifamily, I'm looking for a value highest and best, something that's partially occupied, probably right. I could go in there, still have some cash flow, fix up some of the places, and then increase the cash flow over time, and then you know stabilize it, and then exit in five years or so. What would you? It sounds like an industrial. Are you already? having the tenant located before you go out and invest? Uh, This is first one as a personal investor. Do you have your tenant located before you go out and buy the industrial building they're going to lease first? Because that seems super safe if that's the case.
1: Yeah, I've got a really strange niche. This is the most bizarre thing you will have ever heard because this is sort of like you're being a, uh, a voyeur in someone's conversation about something that really happens in the background that nobody knows about unless they're wealthy, okay? Families... Own businesses. The reason is Grandpa started the business. Like I've got a company that makes fruit juice concentrate in two of my buildings in Chicago, right on the Chicago River at Belmont Avenue, very close to Western
0: Avenue. No, right where that's at. It's
1: it's a beautiful location on the river where one day we think the industrial buildings will be torn down and made. Yeah,
0: into it's going to be all lofts.
1: Yep. Yeah, condos overlooking the river with a water feature. Right.
0: I actually had a lot of listings at 2911 Northwestern, and that's like the only loft building on the river. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's such a
1: beautiful location, and the tenant's been there since the 1990s. But let me explain what happened. Grandpa was in the fruit juice business in Melrose Park with his brother. The brothers had a fight. So they sold the business to get rid of each other. And Grandpa went and started a new business doing the same thing that he knew how to do, which was make fruit juice concentrate. The first company was called Home Juice Company, very big company, and they're still around, but this family sold it. The grandpa and the son and the daughters started a new fruit juice company in Chicago near where they lived and built it up. And in nine years, they sold it to the Rockefeller and the Mellon family that had a private equity group out of New York. So they sold it for millions of dollars, but the building was still there and the family still owned the building and the private equity company didn't want the real estate. They hate real estate. They only like operating companies that they can throw some fairy dust and fix them up and hire some people and make some profits and then sell it again. So this private equity group bought it from grandpa and the kids and, what happened next was even more fascinating the company that bought their company sold their company to a group called houchins which is a conglomerate that owns 400 stores and seven companies but who's the landlord the family is still the landlord so grandpa dies now it's the widowed wife smart and the three kids and they want to get rid of the building and get rid of each other. They no longer want to be tied together after all these years. So I find families that used to own the business that now own the building where the tenant who's in there is the company that they started and don't own. it. Wow. It's a
0: crazy niche.
1: Yeah. I'm buying a building right now from a, a family um who, started a business that makes uh, telephone emergency telephone posts. You ever go on university campuses, in garages?
0: Yeah, like the little the yellow hospital? phone.
1: Yeah, so it's called Talkaphone. It was started by grandpa. The, the kids never went in the business. Grandpa had a partner. The partner had no kids in the business. So the two older guys in their 70s and 80s sold the business to a private equity group, and now the families own the property and they want to get rid of it and no longer be partners
0: with each other. So So let me ask you a question on that because that's interesting. And I just want you guys listening, just the, the principle he just outlined will apply to anything. It's not just like industrial. Like, you know, he's developed a niche and I'm guessing you developed that type of, you figured out who that avatar was probably after you bought your fifth or eighth building or something, you're probably like, dude, wait, hold on a second. Like you're realizing that. Right. And that's no differently for you guys. Like look at your own last five closings. You had your last five listings, where are they coming from? Because people don't double down ever and they never focus in because we're like squirrels. Right. And everybody just goes, we cast a wide net because we think we should be relating to everybody, but the riches are always in the niches, aren't they?
1: Yeah. And Chicago, because we've got 1.5 billion square feet, it's a gigantic market. Yeah it's it's centralized country. So we have, you know, you know, you know, this, we have rail, we have highways running everywhere. So it's in the middle of the country. So every industrial company has to be here and wants to be here in Chicago. And so our niche is laser focus only on Chicago, knowing the market inside out, knowing the tenants, knowing the uh, building owners and knowing all the industrial brokers. There's 300 industrial brokers in the Chicago area. And that's a lot, that's a lot. And all of them are experts and most of them are fantastic. And so they give us all of our data, our information because they're in the market every single day. So we talk to the brokers every day. And what we do that's really bizarre is we buy these buildings all cash, no mortgage. So it's it's different than- Did you syndicate
0: now. every building you purchase? Is everything always syndicated? Are you everything buying them your own funds now? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and and three out of every four are no debt. And the reason that we do no debt is because I've been through the cycles. And right now I I have friends who are being so badly hurt by what's happened with interest rates. They had some floating rate debt and they hadn't locked in rates yet. And now the rates are super high. And tenants during COVID, if if it was not an A property, if it was a B minus or a C property, tenants couldn't pay. And then they told their neighbors they weren't paying and then the neighbors didn't pay rent. And so then 20% of all the tenants aren't paying rent, plus rents aren't going up, plus the mortgage doesn't make sense and it comes up for refinancing. And so debt kills. Listen, there's two things about debt. Either you become rich because you use debt when your timing's good, when rates are low and when cap rates keep going down. But when cap rates go up, interest rates go up, refinancing difficult having debt can be you know i say death debt is death debt is death when things go against you however when it goes for you and it and it you happen to be in a lucky period where debt works you get rich
0: so like the rate was or two percent in the last market if you got a would you do it at a two percent rate
1: no i would not go cash
0: what would no. be your, what are the costs of maintenance for an industrial building? Like if you have a debt free, what what's your, what's your liability there? What's your exposure?
1: Tenant pays it all.
0: Yeah. So is there any, is there any, so you don't really care. Like it doesn't matter that the, the market could crash tomorrow and you're still insulated.
1: I right now am feeling so comfortable that we, we may be stupid because we can't get rich. But my investors are the kind of people who don't want to lose their money. They've already made a lot. A lot of these family businesses that have sold that I buy buildings from, they're the same kind of families that invest with me. The, the, yeah. the family members are already wealthy because grandpa started a company and the son came in and ran it and sold it for $300 million. And now to them, a small investment is $2 million or $3 million. So I, I have a, our minimum investment is $25,000 because not everybody's that rich but we we really have a a network of wealthy people who love our stuff because there's no debt and they feel safe. Yeah. But they also know that if they want to gamble they can go to other people. Someone who's in multifamily with a lot of debt can make a lot of money. So so I'm not saying any, everybody should put all their money in in something that has no debt that's industrial that's got a higher risk profile when when a tenant leaves but most tenants do stay for an average of 18 years in our buildings.
0: What's your um is this this is long term hold? Do you have like a a 5 year exit strategy or anything like this or do you you want to hold these and you want to hold these forever and this is just mailbox money?
1: Yeah, and, and if someone wants to get their money back, I have enough investors that I introduce party A to party B and I have them talk to each other and one buys the other one out. We we do that about I don't know, 3 4 times a year someone calls me and says, "Hey Joel, I need my money." I'm here in California, I've got a, a son who's struggling and I need to buy him a condo because he I'll never have a job and yeah, I, need, yeah. I need to get my million out. So I introduce Jim in California to Steve in Boston. And Steve says, I know it's worth a million but I'll only pay you 900,000 for your investment. And so Jim says, okay, make it 950. So that's called rule 144 from a security standpoint. It's not selling securities because I'm not offering it to the public. It's when one party buys out another party. And so rule 144 is how people get out. But when they get in, I tell them this. We're long-term holders for a good reason. The rent goes up every year. The tenants stay. And how do you replace, when we find a great building, like the the Tampico Fruit Juice building on the river, how are we going to find a better building than that? Why would no, you got them? a lot of,
0: oh, and you and you have an exit strategy too. So you're right; someone in that location will eventually. Hey, I need to develop us in the condos. Um, yeah, and, they, and it, you it, could it, review it longer, at that time. You know, it's an option.
1: Yeah, it, we have a seven-year lease with Tampico, so they're there for seven years from the purchase. And that was my next say, question:
0: like, What's yeah. the typical? What kind of lease terms are favorable in this? Um, when you when you especially at an acquisition like, and you have a new tenant coming in, what is the standard? Like, what's the What do you typically look at for something like that?
1: In terms of what?
0: Lease terms, like time, uh, length of lease specifically.
1: Our average lease is seven years. A new lease with a new tenant is seven years. When we buy a property, sometimes we get three or four years that are left on on a longer lease that's already burned up a little bit.
0: So So The risk is the tenant. The risk is is analyzing the tenant and accepting the right one because if they go out of business and it's manufacturing, trying to get them the hell out of there,
1: um oh yeah, and, and I have night I have nightmare stories that I could tell I you about getting rid of tenants, and, and you'd be surprised at who the bad tenants are. Uh the worst tenants are the automotive guys. They're 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 tough guys, they have to be because people don't trust them. Hey, you're telling me something's wrong with my car or my truck, and it's not really wrong, and you're lying to me, and then they charge them a lot, and then they don't want to pay them and they have to wait to get paid. So the automotive guys are are the most difficult and actually. Of the five tenants that i've ever evicted out of hundreds and hundreds of tenants three were auto guys hmm. repair guys either body shop or repair guys one guy right now who's not paying rent i love i love the guy he's a great guy but he does uh, custom uh painting of wheels like if you buy a, a really fancy uh bmw that's all souped up you might want the the wheels which are really nice to to be like a metallic blue right yeah so he does the painting of those wheels and i talked to him this morning and i said look you got to get out of the building you owe me three months of rent and i said to my son i work with my son and and i have another have him come
0: home. over to your house and paint all your damn wheels <laughs> no
1: <laughs> no he owes his rent seven thousand a month it's a little building his rent seven thousand a month plus he pays the insurance the taxes the maintenance he hasn't paid anything for three months. So this morning I was on the phone with him and I said, you got to get out of the building. We're going to evict you. He says, okay, okay, I'll pay, I'll pay. You know, we had to get tough. We don't do that. We are really good to our tenants. Yeah. But if he hasn't paid rent for three months, I have to take a stand. Right? So
0: just final question in that scenario, because there's no debt on the building, who cares? You're, there's no risk. Like the investors no, it, might it, not. I mean, care. I mean, you can, obviously you care, but there's not like, holy crap, we're losing thousands and thousands of dollars. You're just not generating cash flow. No,
1: actually it's worse how than do you... that. No, it's okay. worse than that. Because he's supposed to be paying the taxes, insurance, and maintenance.
0: Oh, okay, I didn't consider those.
1: Right, so the building's a little tiny building. It's 10,000 square feet. The taxes, insurance, and maintenance, all together, all of that is, it's probably $40,000 a year, which is four bucks a foot but that's $3,000 plus per month. So he owes 9,000 in expenses that we have to pay if he doesn't pay it, plus the rent that we don't get. You know, Thank God we don't have a mortgage and nobody's yeah. breathing our neck because banks have no sense of humor. You have to pay them. Right. So if we had a mortgage, we, we'd be going, oh my God, how are we gonna pay the mortgage? The guy's not paying the rent. But here's what's happening. I told the investors that we have a projected return of 10% on their money. So if someone puts in a hundred grand, they're going to get 10 grand a year and we pay it quarterly. So they get 2,500 a quarter. And I had to explain to them at the end of the year, this past year, why they didn't get their distribution at the full amount. And so how long is this going to happen, Joel? I mean, I, I put a hundred grand with you so I could make the 10,000 a year Yeah. I didn't expect to make 5,000 this year. And by the way, and to to release it, I have to pay a brokerage commission, probably to an industrial real estate broker who brings a new tenant. Chances are I have to do a paint job in the office, maybe carpet the office and any little things. And by the way, they may ask for a month or two of free rent as a concession to sign a five year lease and say, it's gonna take me time to get set. I need some free rent. So retenanting is expensive and not collecting is bad. But can you imagine how awful it would be if we had a mortgage?
0: Yeah, it's, that would get ugly. Do you always want, um, do you locate the tenant first or would you buy someone with an existing tenant in there? And let's say their lease is up in two years.
1: We do all of that. All of it. We bought, we bought buildings with one year left, with two years left, with five years left, with seven. My preference is to buy a building that's got five or seven years left. It gives us a lot of time to do a lot of things. Sure. Yeah.
0: Very interesting, Joel. I like it. Uh, any other, what would you tell someone listening right now, just sort of thinking about, you know, maybe they're looking at, there's a lot of people making career shifts within real estate <laughs> right now. I think you sort of made a good uh, claim, um, a, at least a good pitch for the industrial industry here today. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The the other thing I'd like to say is that um, I love real estate and in 42 years of career in real estate, I have been so lucky to build these relationships with investors and tenants. It's all about the relationships and that's really the main thing. And I've heard you say that, I've heard you say that, I've listened to you say that, that is your main thing. Yes. And I agree with it and it makes sense. And I'm completely on board with all that matters is taking care of your people and making sure that you care about, what's the old saying is Dale Carnegie, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much
0: you care. Yeah. I love that. Good way to end it. That's right. Uh, really it doesn't end. This isn't a, relationships and anything in life. I mean, I can't tell you without relationships, there's nothing, um, there. And speaking of relationships for those guys who are listening, you need to check out my new software referral suite because that's all it does. It helps you manage, nurture, and stay in front of those relationships. So they stop forgetting who the hell you are. Because regardless of what business you're in, you have to maintain those relationships. Nobody hires the person they don't feel comfortable with. Everyone hires the person that they're recommended to, they know personally or that they've used in the past. And if they are a stranger and they don't know that person, trust me, they're doing a little bit of recon on you. They're looking online and they're asking people about you. So um, cold lead generation, at least in the real estate business, it's so highly relationship-based. It's a big investment. So people want to do that with someone they know, like, and trust. Uh, Awesome, dude. I appreciate you having coming on the show. Love having fellow Chicago people on, and thanks for sharing your insights. I'm going to actually check out a lot more industrial stuff. You opened my eyes to a lot of different ways to look at it. I didn't look at it from this point of view, but um, you opened my eyes in a different light, so I appreciate that. Thanks, folks, for listening. Uh, We'll see you guys next week and uh, another episode. See you then. Bye.